Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there but it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Hello, welcome. To the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for listening to my voice and loving me through me wanting to sing everything. So I'm going to try not to do that on today's episode, but I'm not going to make any promises because it's the final episode of the year and it's going to be a solo show. So who knows? I'm probably going to ramble a little bit. I'm probably going to sing. I'm probably going to talk about Beyonce because yes, when I took the Spotify end of year quiz, Beyonce was my number one listened to artist of the year, which I just felt very proud of because sometimes you have your favorite artist and then your Spotify doesn't reflect that. And then I feel like I'm betraying my favorite artist. So I was very proud when Beyonce was my number one artist of the year. My number one song of the year was, uh, or my number one Beyonce song of the year was Bigger. And Spotify has basically shown me what I already knew about myself. I'm a mixture of give me 90s R&B and hip hop, a little Monica, a little um, Ashanti, Ja Rule, uh, Lauryn Hill, But then I also want to listen to Hillsong and Travis Green and gospel music. And then I want to listen to like yoga ambient music. Like don't put me in a box world. And Spotify showed us that this year. All right. See, I'm already going on tangents. This is the final episode of the Refine Collective podcast this year. And I wanted to do a solo show. And I'm doing something that I've never done in almost 100 episodes, I've never done this, I went straight to Instagram and asked you, what questions do you have for me? Like nothing is off the table. And I'm just going to go through this episode and basically answer as many questions as I can in about like 40-ish minutes. And let me know what you think of it. Like, do you want to do more of these sort of things? You guys know that I feel weird and insecure about doing solo shows um, because I feed off other people's energy. And so to be in my office, like staring at a wall, answering questions, I'm like, am I making sense? I'm literally just talking to a wall right now. Um, So have grace with me in that. But I'm excited. And also precursor, before I get into these questions, This is the first time I'm looking at these questions. And what I could have done was looked at all the questions, planned out my response perfectly and had it all neat and nice and buttoned up. But I figured, you know what? Maybe that is the wiser thing to do. But I felt like 
you would probably get a more honest and real reaction if I just did it this way. So that's what I'm doing. Last thing before we jump into this is if you love the Refine Collective podcast, go ahead and go over to iTunes. Please rate us if you would so kindly leave us a five-star rating and a written review. It just really supports us and what we're doing. It acts as sort of like SEO for podcasts. So the more ratings and reviews and subscribes that we get, the more searchable the podcast is. So I would just love to ask you to do that. Now, let's get into these questions. Wait, one more tangent that I have to get on. I don't know. Maybe this question is going to be in this file, but maybe not. So this year is the first year that I am sending out my very own Christmas cards. And I even wrote a newsletter. It's two pages long. I edited it down from three pages because my mom was like, Catherine, no one wants to read three pages of you bragging about your life. And I was like, I'm not bragging. Like, this is my newsletter and I want to share about my year. But I did edit it down to two pages because that's called compromise, folks. But why this was a big deal for me to do a Christmas card is because most of my life, I felt like I cannot wait to send out a Christmas card. My family, even to this day, my parents with all six children, I'm one of six kids, We send out a Christmas card every year. We do like family Christmas photo. One of the great joys of my childhood was going through all the Christmas cards and my mom keeps them all and we have them in a stack that we look through every year. And it's just so fun to see how people have changed over the years and read their little newsletters if they send them. And so as a child, I was like, I can't wait until I'm married and have kids one day and I can send out my own Christmas cards So here I am, 34 years old, single, and like still waiting to send out Christmas cards until I'm married and have kids. And last year, after my family sent out their Christmas card, I just felt like, you know what? Like, this is an area where I'm sort of waiting for my life to begin. I'm waiting to do something that I feel really excited about because I'm not married. And, you know, I think there's things that we do as single people where, we're kind of putting our life on hold until this like one ethereal day of marriage that actually may or may not happen. And something that I feel really passionate about and strongly about is to recognize that like God isn't holding out on me and that my life doesn't start one day when. My calling doesn't start one day when. My purpose doesn't start one day when. Like the things that I want and long for like aren't being withheld from me. And so if there are areas where I am kind of living life on pause, whether it's like, I feel like a lot of women are like, I'm waiting to get that KitchenAid mixer until I get it on my wedding registry. Well, you know what? If you really want that KitchenAid mixer, save up for it and start using it. And this is one of those little things in my life where I figured, you know what? This is something I'm excited about. I'm not less than or less deserving of sending out a card or newsletter because I am single. So I did it and I love it. And I'm so excited about it. I got it through minted.com and I love, love like using their products. We've ordered our Christmas cards there for years but it was just so fun. And I ordered like the special holiday stamps and then have all of my newsletters like tucked in there too. So I'm just very excited about that. All right. 
Now that you know how I feel about Christmas cards and as single people not waiting for our lives to start one ethereal day, um, I think we can hold on to hope and expectation and also live our lives. So that is all I have to say about that. Let's get into these questions. Okay, first one. How do you deal with unhealthy overthinking and constantly taking things personally? Ooh, this is a good question. I think the thing that comes to my mind here is, you know, most things have, whether it's a person's reaction towards me, a failure, or feeling rejected in a dating relationship, like truly it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with that other person. And I think when we can zoom out and remember that perspective, like the person cutting you off on the highway doesn't have a vendetta against you. They're going through their own thing. Like they're stressed out. They're um, late, whatever's coming up for them, like, and it has literally nothing to do with you. It's about them. And, you know, that doesn't mean that other people's actions don't impact us. Um, it's disappointing and painful, say, when we get cut off, <laughs> but it's also disappointing and painful when we are rejected, say, in a dating relationship. But I think it's also important to remember, okay, so if something doesn't work out in a dating relationship, then like typically that doesn't have anything to do with me. Like I'm impacted by that decision, but let's say I'm not interested in a person. It has less to do with them and more to do with what I'm wanting and what I'm looking for. And so I think when we take that perspective, it kind of neutralizes the playing field. And then I think for me also remembering that Every single human being has a story and every human being makes mistakes. Every single one of us has wounds, has insecurities. We're all going to blow it and we're all going to blow it a gazillion times until our last dying breath. And I think when I remember that, that, you know, we're all on equal playing field. Like every single person, we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to feel known. We all want to feel worthy. We all want to have relationship with other people. I think that allows me to have grace and empathy for circumstances and other people and for where they're coming from. Being like, man, that person totally just snapped at me, but there's probably something coming up for them that has nothing to do with me. And I remember when I was waiting tables back in the day in college, I was a waitress at Chili's and it to this day is the only job I've ever gotten fired from. I could not take the heat. But working that job gave me so much empathy for people in the service industry because I just remember there would be times where I would be sat like five tables at once, which is super stressful. You want to kind of have like one table that just got sat and another one has just put in their order. Another is wrapping up because it helps you flow. So I was totally overwhelmed. I'd also had a, you know, a really bad day personally. And then like, there's all this stuff going on in the background. And then you're supposed to like be at your table and be present with them. And I just remember from that experience being like, wow, like you never know what's going on behind the scenes of your waiter or waitress. Like 
yeah, maybe they forgot your Diet Coke, but maybe they just got triple sat. Maybe they're having a bad day and maybe they just got yelled at by their manager or maybe they just dropped someone's plate and we don't know. So I think when things happen to us to remember like, we don't know the full story. We don't know what's going on in someone's heart and their mind, what happened during their day. So to just like be able to zoom out and humanize situations, failures, um, interactions with other people um, has been super healthy for me. And then as far as like overthinking things, I think what's important is bring some of those thoughts out to the light. I say invite community into it. Like, man, friend, I feel like I'm overthinking this. Like, and I totally do this, especially in dating. Like I have all this advice and then I get in a dating situation and I'm blinded and because we all have blind spots, right? So I have friends that I can be like, hey, help bring me down to earth here. Like, am I overthinking this? Like, here's what's coming up for me. Let me verbalize the things that are coming up for me. And then can you help me figure, like navigate this murky water? So we're all humans. We're all on a journey. And typically when something happens to us, it's like not really about us. It's about the other person. Um, and to just like humanize the experience. And lastly, to remember, I love that verse in scripture that says like, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So when I experience failure, it's really never a failure. Like God uses all things together for the good of those who love him. And when I get rejected it has nothing to say about me. Like that no is for my good. For some reason, and every opportunity is an opportunity to grow if I choose it to be. So I can either take things personally and be a victim to my circumstances and disappointments, or I can say, God, how do you want to use this in my life? How can I grow from this? What can I learn from this? How can I take responsibility for how I'm showing up? Like how can I move forward in the future? So... I'm going to move on to the next question. All right. Question. How do I show and give space and patience towards my boyfriend who is struggling with letting go completely from his past relationship? He is very good, but he feels bad for having these feelings because they came unexpectedly. I don't want him to feel pressured. He's all for this new relationship too. I just want to be able to encourage him. Hmm. Okay. This is an interesting question, and I'm just going to say how I feel. Um, If I'm not over my ex, I'm not ready to be in a new relationship. So it's, you know, I'm what I'm grateful for is that this guy has been honest of what's come up for him unexpectedly. Oh, like I didn't realize I'm not fully over this relationship. I think in that scenario, then I would say, okay, like maybe he needs some time to really get over that. Um, I just think um, in that, what I think might feel scary is like stepping away from something and being like, well, I really like this guy. Like what if, what if another guy doesn't come around or we have this great connection but we deserve and get to be in a relationship with someone that is emotionally available. So if a person is not over their ex, they're not emotionally available to you. They're not able to be fully present and there's zero judgment there. But if he still has feelings for someone else, then you should not be in a relationship with him. So I think for what this is really about is standing in your worth and realizing I am worth having a man that's in it with me and who like I am his 
I am his top priority. Like, I don't want to feel like sloppy seconds. Now, does that mean like nothing's ever going to come up? No, like, of course, there's going to be things that come up. But if he's not completely over his past relationship, then I would say that's that's a real red flag and cause to like pause the relationship and maybe be like, hey, like you either need to like get some healing from this, not punish him for that, but be like, you know, as a person who is standing in wholeness and her worth, like I deserve a man who's over his ex. And so until you get there, let me, let me know when you get there. Um, so yeah, I think that is a direct, um, he's basically telling you he's not a hundred percent in your relationship. It doesn't mean that he's not interested in you. It just means he's not fully there with you and you get to have a man that's fully there with you. I think as women, we settle so much and we make excuses for guys because we don't know if we're truly worthy of the type of relationship that we really long for, or we get bits and pieces of um, the type of relationship we long for. And then we justify real red flags. Like real red flag is if the guy you're with is thinking about another woman and not over someone that he dated. Um, you know, I was on some dates this last year. And when I was with this guy, I couldn't stop thinking about this other guy that I had dated and how much like, oh, I I wish that I was at this date with this other guy, or I wonder what this other guy is doing. And I gave it a couple of chances with this guy because I felt like, okay, well, this other guy and I aren't dating. So like, I want to give this person a chance. But ultimately for me, I got to the point where I was like, man, if the roles are reversed and he was sitting here with me and in the back of his head, couldn't stop thinking about another girl, then like that would feel really crappy. And I don't want that for either of us. So I ended things and continued to allow myself to process and get over things. Um, I love the C.S. Lewis book, A Grief Observed, where he talks about moving through the process of grief after um, losing his wife to cancer. And one of the things he says is the, like, paraphrasing the, the thing, the only way to get through grief is to allow yourself to move through grief. So we have to give ourselves space and permission and time to go through the nonlinear process of grieving loss, whether that's a loss of a, a family member or the loss of a relationship that didn't work out. Like, the answer isn't just to jump into another relationship to get over the other person. Like sometimes we need to, not sometimes, I think all the time when we're grieving the loss of a relationship, let yourself feel that loss. Like if you don't let yourself process the loss of what could have been, the rejection or whatever it is, then you're stuffing it down and it's not really being healed. So give yourself time and space to truly get over someone. And that could take three weeks it could take a year and a half and to not judge yourself for how long that takes, um, but to truly process and let go of that because no one wants to be in a relationship where the other person is kind of secretly thinking, man, like I wish I was kissing the, another person. Oof, like that just hurts my heart. Okay, question. I'd love practical language on entering a conversation with a dear friend of mine 
who is a believer, aka she is a Christian, and she's dating someone who is not a Christian. How do I not come off as judgmental, but lovingly and gracefully have a conversation about what God desires for us and calls us to in a relationship? All right, so there's a lot of things here. And I want to kind of zoom out of this conversation a little bit and first say, um, one of my friends yesterday, we were talking and she said a woman named Rosario Butterfield said this, but she said, you know, unless you're close enough to a person to hold their hand, you shouldn't be calling them out. Um, and I loved that. And it sounds like you, that you're saying this is a dear friend of yours. It sounds like you have permission to speak into some like deeper places into her life and into her heart. So the first thing I think of when navigating any sort of con- conversation like this is to, you know, before we start refereeing other people's lives or being the moral police here, one of my old pastors used to say like, you know, no one ever remembers the referees, right? Of like football games. You remember the players. And I think for a really long time, I spent a lot of my faith feeling like I had to be everyone else's moral police. Like, well, don't you know that's wrong to get drunk? Well, don't you know you shouldn't be sleeping with your boyfriend before marriage? Well, don't you know you shouldn't be dating someone that's, you know, doesn't share your faith? And that actually, the reality is when you're in the situation, I didn't really have compassion or empathy for this until I dated someone who didn't share my faith or worldview and realized, oh, like, yeah, the the advice to just like, break up with the person is really not helpful because here I am in this situation. What I really need is someone to walk with me through this in a non-judgmental way. So how do you come off as non-judgmental? You and your heart need to not be judging the person. So if you're judging the person for the decisions that they're making, then you can't come to them from a non-judgmental space. So I think first thing is to check your own heart of, all right, like, am I judging this person? Why am I judging this person? What am I afraid of happening here? Um, And like, what would it look like for me if I wasn't judging them? Like, how can I have compassion for this person regardless of the circumstance? Because for me, it, it has been the people in my life who have really come to me and not been like, you're wrong. I'm here to let you know you're wrong. Usually when we are compromising, we know we are, and we're already judging ourselves for it. So typically the last thing we need is someone else pointing out like, hey, you're wrong here. Um, what has been most helpful for me are those people that have lovingly come beside me and have been curious and asked questions and really dug into the why with me. You know, I'm like questions like, okay, like I see you're you're dating this person, you know, in the past we've talked about, you know, wanting to be with someone that shares your faith. Um, I'm curious about like what's coming up for you now and why you are dating someone who is not sharing that with you. And come from a posture of instead of like, I want to call this person out because they're doing the wrong thing. I think there are time and places for that, but like meeting someone with empathy and meeting someone where they're at and being curious first and foremost and humbling yourself. Like the story that's coming to my mind is 
when Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery in the New Testament and all these religious people basically were ready to stone her um, because she was doing the wrong thing. Like she was caught in adultery, which I always wonder like, so where's the guy? Like the guy was adultering as well, but the woman is thrown into the center here, ready to be stoned to death because of her poor decision, because of her sin. And the religious people are telling Jesus, you know, let's make this right here. And it's always so interesting to me, like what Jesus did was first, he bent down, he got on the ground. So he met her where she was at. And he says, you know, you who is without sin cast the first stone. So after he meets her where she's at, he levels the playing field and is like, okay, all you religious people, like whoever's perfect here, like you throw the stone. And who is actually the only perfect person in that situation was Jesus, who is God. And did he throw a stone? No, he reminded her of who she was. And eventually after all of that said, you know, like go, like go and, you know, sin no more. But he met her where she was at. And so I wonder what it would look like if we did that in our friendships, like in in our community, instead of like being so quick and threatened when people aren't making the quote unquote right decisions or the decisions that you think are best or they're in quote unquote sin and how I define sin, because I think it can be a triggering word in itself is sin is an action or decision that um, takes me away from God, that creates distance and chasm between God and myself and others. Um, So I think when we look at sin that way, it kind of like humanizes it a lot more. So just kind of realizing, okay, I'm not perfect here. (laughs) Like, So if we're all in the same playing field here, how can I come with a posture of humility and curiosity and accepting the person and um, lovingly like being curious with them? And so I I feel like, I don't know if that's too ethereal, but um, I think just what comes up for me is like what I think of as myself and for how so many years I was just so judgmental towards people and their decisions. And I... I'm more of like a black and white thinker. And so I'm like, well, this is right. This is wrong. So just don't do it. Behavior modify. But God is always more interested in our hearts rather than behavior modification. Do our behaviors matter? Yeah. Like out of the outpouring of our hearts, our mouths speak and we act. Um, But if we're not dealing with the heart and we're just going straight to behavior modification, then that's not helping. That's not causing any real transformation. I think another thing that's interesting is to really zoom out and think about, all right, like what is it that I really want in a partner? And why is it a value for me to be with someone that shares my faith? Like, am I doing that just because it's quote unquote, the Christian thing to do or because the Bible tells me so? Like, why am I doing this? And, you know, A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about us is what we think about God. And I remember hearing that a long time ago and feeling like, gosh, I feel like that's like a pretty big statement, maybe even a little bit arrogant. However, the older I've gotten and uh, in the past when I have dated people that don't share my faith, there ultimately becomes a point where like the core of who I am 
comes from this faith that I have in Jesus. And I think every decision I make is rooted from this space of who I believe God to be and then how I view the world because of who God is, how I view myself because of who God is. So my relationship with Jesus impacts how I spend my money. It impacts the relationships I'm in. It impacts how I deal with conflict resolution. It impacts the my career decisions that I make. And ultimately, like I want to be with someone that understand, not only has respect for that, because sometimes you can be with a person, even if they don't share your faith, they respect it. But I don't want someone that just respects me. I want someone who's able to go in the trenches with me. So an example of this is years ago, I dated this incredible guy who wasn't a Christian. And one thing that was really hard and confusing about that whole scenario to me is, first of all, I had judged people out the wazoo who dated people that weren't Christians, who were Christian, but dating someone that wasn't a Christian. So I had become then the person that I had judged for so long. I mean, talk about getting off your your high horse. But also what was conflicting to me is that this guy treated me better than almost every single Christian guy I had dated. He uh, was intentional with me. He had integrity. He honored my boundaries. He pursued me. He treated me incredibly. And so that felt really disorienting and confusing to me when I had had these really disappointing experiences with guys who said that they were Christian guys. And I just felt like, wait, like, I don't understand. Like, what is going on here? And I remember one situation in particular really stood out to me. And I was going out of town for a speaking engagement. And um, I was talking about faith and sexuality, uh, sort of like a round table. And I remember him being like, that's so cool that you're doing that, like have so much fun on your trip, whatever. And I remember being kind of surprised because I felt like, oh my gosh, if I ever date someone that isn't a Christian, like they're going to be holding me back and taking me down and trying to like convince me to believe what they believe. And he didn't, he truly did respect what I believed, but he wasn't propelling me forward in my faith. And I think on the heels of that event, what I realized is what I want is someone who's not just able to be like, I respect that you're doing what you're doing, but how can I pray for you? How can I point you towards Jesus? How can I be in the trenches with you? Not meaning like he needs to like work with me or do the same career that I do. But I realized, you know what? I really want someone that not just respects me, but is constantly pointing me back to the thing that is most important to me. So this is a long convoluted answer to the question of how to have a conversation with your friend who is in that space. And I just, I think the biggest thing for me is after I had that experience, we ultimately ended up breaking up because our worldviews were different. And, you know, my relationship with Jesus like is giving me a Christian worldview and um, whatever we at our core believe, it's like, those are the glasses. Those They call it like rose colored lenses. Like the lenses with which I'm choosing to view the world are like Jesus lenses. And that's different lenses than someone who has like, who is agnostic or Jewish or 
Um, like we're, we're coming from very different places. It doesn't mean that we can't love and respect and do life deeply with others that are different than us by all means. Like, and Jesus models that the most, like people who didn't believe what Jesus, like what Jesus believed love being around him. I think, however, when it comes to that most intimate relationship of our lives, um, choosing a partner to have like marriage is hard enough. Like marriage is probably one of the hardest endeavors we'll ever enter into And so it's like, at the very least, we need to be able to like have the same framework or a similar like framework of the core of who we are and how we view the world, which is our faith. And that's where kind of tying back to the A.W. Tozer quote of like how we view God is the most important thing about us because it paints every single aspect of our lives. So all that to say is I think for me going through that experience personally, where I did fall for a guy and a wonderful man who treated me wonderfully, but ultimately like we didn't share that. It ultimately got to a point where, you know, our views on a lot of things were different. And it's like, I'm speaking Spanish, he's speaking Russian and even just things like sex. Like I was like, listen, you know, I'm waiting until marriage to have sex. And that is a huge priority to me because of my relationship with God. And, and that wasn't a priority to him. So there came this time where, you know, because of our differences in worldview, like we were in a gridlock. Um, so either like someone compromises there or you have to walk away. So however, that just gave me so much empathy because for so long I judged that. And I realized from my own experience that it's a lot harder when you're actually in this situation. So just to have space for people and be curious and and truly, if you're judging them like until you can get over your judgment of them like you should not be entering into a confrontational conversation with them okay all my single ladies listen up raise your hand if dating as a single woman of faith in today's swipe right swipe left culture has been a struggle fest I've experienced it at all from being stuck in the friend zone like it was my job to my dating life looking like the Sahara Desert to awkward setups to heartache to being ghosted and pretty much everything in between. But you know what I've discovered? It doesn't have to be this way. Truly. I know you're like, cat. you don't know me. You don't know my story. And you're right. But I know mine and I know what it's like to feel hopeless in this area of my life. And I know what it's like to move into my season of singleness and dating with hope and clarity and practical tools and freedom. And over the last few years, I've literally journeyed with thousands of women all over the world and walking into more freedom and purpose in their dating life. So I created a free guide for you to help you jumpstart your dating life and get unstuck. It's called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life. You can grab it for free at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. In this guide, I will teach you the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. And then I'm gonna show you how to get unstuck in your relationships. I know you wanna meet a quality guy, but it's like, how, right? I got you, girl. Then the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically transform your season of singleness. And lastly, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. This guide is for you if you're a woman of faith that longs for a meaningful relationship but have no idea how to get there. 
Is that you? Then go ahead and go to bit.ly slash TRW dating tips and grab my free guide, six tips to activate your dating life. Okay, next question. How long have you been a Christian? I became a Christian when I was 16 years old at a summer camp that a bunch of the friends that I hung out with in high school invited me to go on. And I really, like I wasn't ever really like this bad kid. I was super driven um, because I was an athlete. I played tennis and like my main goal from the time I had been in fifth grade was to get a full ride scholarship to a D1 school. So stuff like drinking and, you know, messing around with boys and stuff like that really wasn't as much on my radar because I was so driven by this goal Um, However, I really, really, really wanted to be liked. I really wanted to be wanted. I really wanted to be popular. And I got in with this crowd that I considered like the cool crowd. And they all went to this like big mega church in Dallas for a youth group. And then they all went on this like huge youth group trip to Colorado every summer. And I remember like the main reason why I was excited to go is because like all the hot guys <laughs> from my school were going. Um, and kind of the joke ended up being on me. I feel like even now it's like kind of a cliche story. I, I go to like a Christian camp. I become a Christian. I have this like camp high experience. But in in all honesty, it was really from that very first night, I remember we, it was like, you know, we're in the mountains of Keystone, Colorado. It's beautiful. There's hundreds of high school kids there. There's like all these like raging hormones going on. And I sat through that first session that night and saw people worshiping God and raising their hands. And I remember hearing the pastor talk about Jesus and this like thing, inexplicable thing, like just igniting in my heart where I felt like, man, like, I want this. Like, I, like, I can't explain it, but it's like I've been like living life in the gray. And it's, it's like this life with Jesus is like this technicolored, multifaceted experience. And I want that. And I mean, by the end of the week, I was just completely head over heels in love with Jesus. (laughs) I was probably so annoying. Oh my gosh. I mean, I got back from camp and my family was like, what in the heck happened to you? What is wrong with you? Because all I wanted to do was like read my Bible and talk about Jesus. And yeah, so I definitely was like probably obnoxious Christian um, to a lot of people and definitely went through a season where I was like super judgmental of everyone and wanted to save the world. But we're all on a journey, right? But yeah, that was, I. by the end of that week, I got baptized and it was kind of like no looking back for me. That's not to say that I haven't had real moments of struggle in my life and in my faith walk. Because um, I think sometimes people think like, oh, you become a Christian and like everything becomes amazing. My, right after I graduated college, I worked for a nonprofit and that we did a lot of advocacy work. You guys have heard me talk about it. Traveled all over the United States doing this advocacy work, like living out of a van, making $7 a day. And we were being inundated with not only the conflict that we were working in regards to in Northern Uganda, but learning about human trafficking in America and all over the world and trafficking and um, political injustice, like in North Korea and Burma and all these things. And I left that situation. I left that 
I left that time at the nonprofit just feeling like there's so much evil in the world and there's so much pain. And it's like, I didn't ever doubt the existence of a God or a higher power, but I just was like, I just don't know if God is good. Like, God, why are you not intervening in the in this world and in, in humanity? And um, I was brokenhearted over it. And I felt like I had also experienced from traveling all, all over the United States, people who, you know, atheists, agnostics, universalists, um, Christians, Mormons, like Jewish people, like pretty much anyone who believed whatever, like any sort of belief system I collided with through my time at this organization. And I felt really challenged by the fact that like all these people that like didn't believe what I believed about God were living more like Jesus than the people that I was doing life with. And even how I was living, like I was like, okay, I have this Bible degree. I um, know quote unquote good theology, but like all these people are living so much more like Jesus. So I had these like real faith crisis moments where I didn't know what to do. And I felt really like my faith was hanging on by a thread. And um, kind of to wrap up that story is I ended up going to Uganda and I almost didn't go with my the company I was working for because I just felt like there's so much crap going on in the world. Like, I don't know if I can like see it with my own eyes and have and leave having like any sort of semblance of faith. Um, like to me, it felt like me going to Uganda and seeing the IDP camp, seeing the intense poverty and um, seeing these child soldiers that have been, you know, raped and abused and forced to kill people. Like, I just felt like, you know, if my faith is barely hanging on by a thread now, like that's the nail in the coffin. And for some reason, I still chose to go on this trip. Um, on a Sunday afternoon, while I was riding bikes with a couple of friends, and we stumbled upon this secondary school full of young girls that were orphaned because of the war and some of them ex-sex slaves from the rebel army and just feeling like, wow, like these girls literally have nothing. Like they, like in the world standards, they've been stripped of everything, of innocence, of family, um, of education. And yet we're sitting there talking with these girls and all of a sudden, like, the girls start congregating all in this one area and one girl gets up in front of all of them and she must have been, gosh, 13 or 14, like a young girl. And she just goes, God is good. And all the girls like reply in unison all the time. And she goes all the time and they all go, God is good. And from there, they just start worshiping God because of his goodness and his faithfulness and I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, how can they even say these things? They have nothing. But it was in that moment where like God in some way restored my faith that even though I don't understand it, even though I can't explain it, even though it doesn't make sense and it's not fair, that somehow God is at work. He's at work. I, I share all that because um, like, Life with God is a relationship and we ebb and we flow and there's high points, there's low points, and it's not all sunshine and um, it's not all unicorns and it's like 
things aren't just like magically perfect when you start a relationship with God. So it's looked really, really different for me over the years. Yet one thing has remained the same in all of it. Um, God has continually shown me his goodness. And even just in the hardest of times, this past year has been a hard year personally with some family stuff. And God has shown me in such new and fresh ways that he is the air I breathe, like God is my oxygen and God is near the brokenhearted and God is making all things new. Um, so it's not a perfect journey. It is a, it's a relationship. All right. There are so many more questions, but we're running out of time here. So I'm going to do just a couple more. Like I'm going to kind of do like a fire round with myself and hopefully I will have, (laughs) hopefully I will have the discipline to be like short with my, with my answers. Okay. So let's go through these. Okay. Highs and lows for 2019 slash what is your vision for 2020 and the refined woman? Okay. Great question. Okay, highs of 2019. So, well, first let me start with my low. So this year started off, I've I've alluded to it, I've mentioned to it a lot, or not a lot, but multiple times. Um, and I'm not gonna be specific with what went down because it's personal and it's, it's not my story to tell, but um, a really painful, devastating experience unfolded in, in my life um, this January. And it sort of knocked the wind out of me and knocked the wind out of my sails and what like heartbreak and devastation and loss, no matter if you're prepared for it or not, completely sucks. Um, but it was one of those experiences where like it totally brought me to my knees. And for about, gosh, the first six weeks of the year, it was like all I could really do was like get up go to the prayer room that my church has. I go to a church called Church of the City in New York and they have a prayer room where you can just go and they have prayer sets from like seven to eight, eight to nine, nine to 10, 12 to one. And all I could really do is drag myself to this prayer room and like sit there and cry and weep and pray and have other people pray and just listen to other people pray. So I could do that. I could eat, I could go to the gym and pretty much that's like all I could do. And in that time, my mom said, um, you know, Catherine, like you have to choose to lean into the good. And I'm, you know, it's become like this theme of my year that, you know, even in the pain and even in heartache and um, betrayal, disappointment, like life doesn't stop moving and life isn't either good or bad, right or wrong good or evil, like it's not as black and white as we think it is. And really what I've discovered, which has become one of my highs, is that life is about a both and, not an either or. Like life can be devastating and beautiful and adventurous all at the same time. And that doesn't mean we ignore the pain. We process the pain. We move through the pain. We take steps to gaining healing and freedom and restoration of whatever that thing is. And also at the same time, you can laugh. You can go on trips with people you love. You can have beautiful experiences. So I think really living and breathing that this, that life is a both and was really transformative for me. And then also I think in that, like this has been one of the 
yeah, one of the hardest years personally, but so many amazing things have happened. I think because it started off so hard, I just felt like, you know what? Like I want to make beautiful memories this year. I want to have adventure. I want to be with the people I love. I want to be surrounded um, by community. And so I got to do a lot of fun trips this year. My mom celebrated her 60th birthday. So my sisters and I um, surprised her with like floor seats to see Celine Dion in Las Vegas. And that was like so fun. We cried. I mean, we just loved it. I got to go to the Bahamas with my sister. Um, one of my sisters, one of my other sisters took this like massive road trip, camping road trip this summer. So I got to meet her in Moab and we would hike like 10 miles a day and um, just get to be together. So I think my biggest highs from this year were just getting to be with the people I love. I just went on a really fun trip to Tulum with one of my friends and just completely unplugged from technology. And that was incredible. Um, And then I think one of the biggest highs is drumroll. I signed with a publisher to write my very first book, which leads me into my vision for 2020 and The Refined Woman. So 2020 for me is all about writing this book. Um, It's, I don't want to give too much away now, but if you've read the Sexless in the City series on my blog, on therefinedwoman.com, you're going to really love this book. Um, so moving forward, what does that mean for the refined woman? It means I am furthering my mission to equip women to navigate singleness. And I'm becoming more and more committed to you know having those hard conversations and approaching hard topics like sex, sexuality, dating, um, in a modern culture as a woman of faith with a fresh and renewed biblical perspective. So 2020, I will still be launching my courses. I'm going to be doing more in-person events. My One of my goals is to start having um, live podcasting events. So get ready. 2020 is going to be a big year. And 2021, you can buy my book. So it's just going to be really, really, really exciting. Okay, we are going to end on this my best and worst date of 2019. Okay. Hmm. What is my worst date of 2019? Honestly, I've had a lot of good dates this year. I feel like very blessed in that way. I would say probably like the worst thing was I went on some dates with this guy and I really, really, really liked him. And It was one of those experiences where I felt like we are totally on the same page. Like, I totally see this like ending in a relationship. Like, I like felt blown away by who he is as a person. Like, we're on the same page spiritually. We had fun together. We had these like epic dates. And then all of a sudden, like, he sort of went MIA. And that felt really confusing to me because we had had such a great connection and because we like, to me, it just seemed like, oh my gosh, this is like such a no brainer. Like this is the sort of man that I've been like hoping for and for then it to just fizzle out and not really have that quote unquote closure that so many of us want and long for, which by the way, like, I think sometimes we just, we want this like closure. Like I need to hear from him, like exactly why he's not interested. Like him dropping off the face of the earth is closure. Like that's all the clarity you need. Like he's not ready to be in a relationship with you and unable to hold, like be emotionally available. Um, 
to be in a relationship. But I think, you know, so that wasn't just like, oh my gosh, I got stood up. Like it was like, wow, like I really like this person. And he didn't like me back the way I thought he did. And there, like, I think in that, like he didn't really do anything wrong. Like he just wasn't that into me. And that was painful and disappointing. Um, so to really let go of that. And it took me a long time to get over it. Like I would see him around town and be like, oh, like, I hope he thinks I'm pretty or, you know, I hope that he will change his mind about me and finally kind of processing through like, no, I get to have a man that I don't have to convince to like me. Right. Like I I think a lot of times as women, we're like, well, maybe if I jump through this hoop or maybe if I, he just sees how cool and chill I am in this scenario, or maybe if I wear red lipstick or Maybe if he sees how spiritual I am. No, like we do not have to convince someone to like us, but I definitely had to walk through that journey and allow myself to be disappointed, allow myself to feel the feels, to really move on from that. And let's see, I would say the best date that I went on this year was I went on a date with a guy and he just was very clear. Like, He made a plan, which I love, and we went to a cafe first, and then he had told me ahead of time to bring a change of, like, workout clothes, and I like surprises, so I'm just like, I'm just going to let this guy, you know, lead the way here, lead the charge. So I was like, okay, are we going running? Are we going paintballing? What's happening? And he ended up taking me hiking, and then we're on a hike, and he, like, made me close my eyes to like take me to this like secret spot of his. And I'm like, okay, is he going to murder me? Like, I don't really know this person that well, like what's happening. Um, But I just went with it. And then um, he ended up like making a picnic for us and just had like super intentional questions that he wanted to ask me. And so I think like why that was so wonderful is a, I think guys and girls need to know this. Like I think sometimes guys are like, oh, like I don't, I can't afford to date. Like dating is so expensive. Like this was like such an inexpensive, inexpensive date. Like we got a coffee and then like he got stuff from the grocery store to have a little picnic. Um, So like no breaking the bank there. I think what it shows is like, man, just being intentional is like means the world to women. That meant the world to me that he thought ahead of time that he had a plan that he had things he wanted to ask me. It made me feel cared for and known um, and all of that stuff. So um, that is that. That was my favorite date of the year. All right. So we're coming to the end. I have talked for so long that my jaw is starting to hurt. (laughs) So I hope you have liked this. Sorry, I couldn't get to all the questions. If you like this episode and you want me to do more of it, go to iTunes, leave me a written review and ask me your question in that review and we'll do it again. Um, All right. I hope you have a great rest of your year. We're going to take a little bit of a break from the Refined Collective just to recalibrate, practice balance, practice rest. So in the meantime, go ahead and binge on all the episodes you missed this year. We had some incredible episodes the one with Kate Escurry on everything that you weren't taught about your period. That is one of my favorites. We have a series from this spring where I interviewed a bunch of men about like the top questions that women want to know. Um, just a bunch of fun stuff. I love my interview with Mike Mayashiro on wisdom and discernment. Um, so check them all out. Have a great day. I'm just praying blessing 
over your holiday season that God would reveal himself to you and you would experience his peace, his presence, his joy, and that you would have sweet times, redeeming time or redemptive times with your family and loved ones and laughter too. So thank you for being on this journey with me. Much love to you. Bye-bye. La la la. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.